Welcome to the panel, RNZ National. Verity Johnson, Peter Dunn with me this afternoon. An interesting latest poll with the Roy Morgan. A couple of things to note here. Support for Labour. Well, it's slumping, slipping uh, to 26% in the July poll, down from 30.5 last month and well below their historic 50% 2020 election result. And National, they have a 3.5 point bump to 33.5%. But look at the minor parties. They're going gangbusters. More on that soon. Uh, but New Zealand is in a gloomy mood with the question, is New Zealand heading in the right direction? It's a strong result going one way. With us is Dr. Bryce Edwards, lecturer in politics at Victoria University, research fellow at the School of Government. Dr. Edwards, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. Good to have you here, Bryce. And just while, while we have you here, just see this uh, this afternoon, National MP Tim Vandermollen being referred to the Parliament's powerful Privileges Committee following a complaint about his behaviour toward another MP. We don't know a lot so far, but look, several MPs have been referred to the committee this year. Uh, Jantonetti, Michael Wood, Simon Court. Um, MP behaviour edging out the real issues again, Bryce? Oh, look, the integrity of our leaders is becoming quite a concern for the public but also it's becoming an issue that the parties themselves are increasingly fighting over so they use really uh, issues of integrity as a kind of electoral weapon if you like and so especially when the major parties don't have a huge difference between them and kind of policy ideology they tend to focus on each other's uh, I don't know integrity and their behavior and so yeah if they can score points on that we are seeing it's a it's something that the the voters take very seriously. So if you can sort of bring down your opponent on that, it's it's a, it's that's one of the best things you can do in politics at the moment. Right. Well, I'm sure you'll hear more about that on RNZ uh, later on uh, in the news and beyond. But uh, look. Uh, Again, another day, another political poll. Having said that, Labour to twenty six percent. Bryce, would that be a new low here? Well, it's one of a. It's a very low uh, polling rate for a government, of course. Back in 2022, the National uh, Party went to the low of nearly just under 21% in that election. Uh, if Labour, you know, got this, this would be yeah a historic record in the uh, in the general election to go from getting 50% of the vote back in 2020 to just 26% this time. They, you know, lost half of their support according to this poll. They'll lose uh, about 32 seats if this uh, translated on to election day and um, yeah certainly Labour were doing very poorly at the end of last year um, when Jacinda Ardern was sort of thinking about quitting uh, they had a honeymoon they had Chris Hipkins managing to pull those numbers back up but it just seems to have gone down especially with scandal after scandal so you know whether this is a one-off uh, an aberration we're going to have to wait till the next poll really but I think a lot of people will feel that this direction seems kind of about right from what they're seeing on the news. Verity Johnson. Kia ora, Bryce. Um, I'm curious, like, I'm wondering, do you think that the fact that this slump for Labour hasn't actually resulted in a massive surge towards, na- towards National and actually has resulted in a surge towards the minor parties, could you actually frame that as a bit of a failure for National for failing to capture a, a, a lot of the dissatisfied left? 
oh, this is absolutely the case. Uh, you know, this um, current government has made a number of mistakes that National have been able to uh, focus on and bring to the attention of the public, but they're not really putting forward any strong alternative. Uh, I think that's what we, we have to see from this. Uh, Christopher Luxon isn't really appealing to those median voters. So, yeah, this election is going to be big for the minor parties. And uh, I, I think... Yeah, both voters on the left and right are looking around for more inspiring options. Uh, and so in this latest poll, uh, Labour and National together only had 60% of the vote, or under 60% of the vote, which is as low as I can ever remember it. Right, um, Peter. Well, I I'm, I'm was just um, recalling being in a, in a Labour government in 1990 where we got 22.5% in a poll and National got 64 Of course, Oof. the 1990 landslide <laughs> was the outcome. Um, <laughs> Having said that, Bryce, I, I, I've got a feeling that, that Roy Morgan's at the outer edge. It's probably not as bad for Labour and as good for the other parties in reality as Roy Morgan makes out. But it's pretty clear if you look at the trends, there does seem to be a gap opening now between the centre-left and the centre-right that's um, going to be a bit hard to close over the next few weeks. Oh, yeah. And you're, you're right to raise questions about Roy Morgan. They don't have the best reputation. I think that's probably overstated. Mm. Um Partly it's because they're an Australian company and so they're based there and they don't sign themselves up to the New Zealand uh, Polling Association group. So the media don't cover them as much. But if you look at how well they did at the last general election, I think they were the closest of any of the polling companies in their pre-election poll. They actually got it pretty well uh, right. So, no, I think we should take this seriously, but, but you're absolutely right. In all of these polls, it's not so important the exact numbers. It's just the direction of travel mm. that we're seeing. And, yeah that does look like the centre-right are opening up. But do pay attention to New Zealand First, Top and to Party Murray. Yeah. They're mm, really mm, rocketing mm, at the moment. Mm, mm. Well, mm. that's why we really had you on because that was, uh, yeah, of course, it is just a poll and it's a poll of polls, isn't it? I mean, it's a poll amongst many. But what is extraordinary, Bryce, is that success of these, especially ACT, now 14%. I mean, you can't really call them minor, can you? It's the Party Maori, 6%. It wasn't that long ago that these two parties were in the yeah, the 1% or the sub-1% bracket. Oh, absolutely. I think we're all quite amazed by this. ACT, if they got these numbers in Parliament, would almost double their caucus size. They'd be up to 18. Uh, to Party Māori, likewise, they'd go from 2 to 8 MPs. Mm. And, of course, New Zealand First would be back with 6. And uh, the Opportunities Party might even... Well, they're, they're just about close to that 5% threshold. So, you know, this is extraordinary times where, um, yeah, Labour and National are not the only game in town, and this is a real MMP election campaign. But isn't, isn't the most telling figure the one about the right track, wrong, wrong track yeah. one? Because historically, uh, that's, that's really the one that, you know, forget the party figures, that's the one that really determines the ultimate outcome if people feel the country's going well or not going so well. And uh, Roy Morgan's pretty clear on that. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Peter. So 61% of uh, those polled said that New Zealand's headed in the wrong direction. Only 29% mm. disagreed and said it was heading in the right direction. And those are record low and highs. So uh, that really does say that there's some uh, depression out there. Things are pretty gloomy. And incumbent 
parties don't do well when people are gloomy like this. Just that, just that again, the latest Royal Morgan Poll has a record high of uh, 60.5% asking, is New Zealand heading in the wrong direction? That was up 6.5% with um, 29% disagreeing. Uh, Verity. Um, I'm just, Bryce, what you just said there about how if people are largely saying we're on the wrong track, then they're going to basically vote against the current government. For, would they typically move to the largest opposition party or would they split into the minor parties historically? I, I, I'm just thinking about that. Historically, they would tend to go to the main party of the opposition and, and they're not, as you have already highlighted, they're going to these minor parties and they're going to quite radical ones. I mean, this is ACT on the right of National and New Zealand First, which, you know, is kind of in the centre, but it's kind of a, a very kind of radical centre version. And Te Party Māori are saying... Well, they're at the most radical they've been for a long time. So obviously it's not people that are uh, discontented and just wanting National's version of the answers to this. They're looking around for yeah, all different voices that are almost anti-establishment, if you like. Yeah, someone was asking what the Greens, the Greens are at 9, so National 33.5, Labour 26, Act 14, Greens 9, Māori uh, 6, New Zealand First 5 and uh, Top uh, 4. Uh, in terms of just finally, briefly, Dr Edwards, that, that question, uh, New Zealand is heading in the wrong direction or the right direction, is that quite, is that a fairly telling question? Is that something that could be more handy for us than other than polls. Heather Roy, about four weeks ago on the panel, said that. She said Mm. she'd defer to that one question. Oh, I think it's a really powerful question and, um, you know, it just shows the levels levels of, you know, well, a winter of discontent at the moment. And so somehow Labour, as the party of government, has to convince those people that it's still the best option for turning those things around. And at the moment, they're just not putting out enough policy, but they have to show that they've got some sort of answers to try and win back the momentum. Otherwise, it kind of feels like they might go into freefall. All right, Bryce, thank you very much. That's Bryce Edwards, lecturer in politics at Victoria University. Just some traffic here due to a breakdown, truck breakdown, blocking the northbound approach of the Rakaia River Bridge. The road is currently down to one lane with stop, go in place, take extra care. I'm not going to do a poll. I'd be interested in a snapshot for the, for the, for the next 10 minutes, though, up to 4.30. Do you think New Zealand is heading in the wrong Direction. Text me yes or no. That again, do you think New Zealand is heading in the wrong direction? Yes or no? Text 2101. Uh, to this, though, we here at the panel get anecdotes of teachers getting in touch, saying it's tough with the level of aggression and anger out there at the moment. And the numbers reflect that. The number of students stood down or suspended for physically assaulting staff or students has increased 66% in the last 11 years. Just recently, there have been instances of aggression. Um, Ipsum Girls, just one example, a witness saw a year nine punch one teacher in the face and kick another. Ministry of Education data shows 8,251 students were stood down or suspended for attacking their peers last year compared with 
4,930 in 2012. With us is Chris Abercrombie, a history and social studies teacher, the acting president of the uh, New Zealand uh, Post-Primary Teachers Association. Kia ora, Chris. Kia ora. Does what you hear echo these figures? Um, it does, definitely does seem to be more violence. Um, the kind of behaviours teachers were dealing with once in a while, every now and then, are becoming much more frequent. This is quite a rise over time. What do you think is going on here? There's a lot of aspects to this, we think, is that, um, you know, students, there's more struggles in the world for our young people, and they just don't leave those challenges and struggles at the school gate. They live with them 24-7. And so we think that's a big part of it. You know, schools reflect their communities. Any issues in your school community will be reflected in your school. So, you know, any any increases will will fit in together. Bertie. Um, Kia ora Chris. I'm curious about how the Ministry of Education came out and basically said that actually it's not an increase in violence, it's just schools changing the way that they report um, these incidences. Has there been a massive shift in like what schools would consider reporting as an incident to the government? Um, well, it's up to each individual school to decide where the line is for them um, for how where the stand-downs are, where the suspensions, expulsions are. It's up to each individual school. It's the beauty of self-managing schools. Um, but there absolutely has been a, a shift over time. I mean, things that you know students may have been stood down for 10 years ago, they might not be this, time, this, this stage. So there's absolutely a shift. Chris, I was just wondering, um, you know, given given the undoubted change that's gone on, and given the fact that society generally has become probably a more violent society over over the similar period of time, how much of this is a reflection of that rather than something particular to the schooling environment? And if it is just a reflection of wider society, what role can schools play in helping deal with it? Well, it's absolutely, I think, just a reflection of wider society. We know that young people are dealing with more anxiety, they're less tolerant, they've got shorter tempers, and we're seeing this in our schools. And so one way schools can deal with it is having that pastoral care support because the reality is we need every young person to be the best that they can be if we want to succeed mm-hmm. as a nation. And so having that pastoral care support, that expert support in schools, schools as community hubs, um, is a really good way of doing it. Yeah, I mean, one thing I was just thinking that has changed over 11 years, Chris Abercrombie, is social media presence. Mm. Is that a factor? It absolutely is an effector in the sense of it, it, it re-victimises the, the, the victim. So if a young person's filming a fight and, and you, you know, you're, you're getting, you know, you're the, you're the victim of that assault, then that, that video exists forever. You can't escape from it. I often talk to my students about, you know, bullying's not you. It happened when I was at school, but no one rang up my, my landline at home and said, hello, Mrs. Abercrombie, can I please bully your son? Um, and so, you know, that, that 24-hour nature of it, of social media, of, of their phones, of devices, absolutely plays apart, particularly around anxieties and um, those kind of issues there. Do you think there's a factor here too of uh, pent-up tension post-COVID and the lockdowns and the kids learning from home and all of that sort of thing now being back in the same environment, tolerance being a little less than it was perhaps earlier? Absolutely. So, I mean, I was teaching year nines at the start of this year and I haven't done that for a while. Mm. And there was just an, it was an element of teaching them how to be in the class together. Right. 
You know, they've had such disruption that just that simple existing in a space together needed to be, we just needed to go over that again, whereas previously I wouldn't have had to do that with that age group. I would have had those skills by now. But they've absolute disruptions. Just, yeah, say, being in a space with others can has been something that you need to learn. Yeah. Chris, how does our level of increasing violence in schools compare to places like Australia? Is this something which New Zealand is particularly bad for, given our you know, like socioeconomic um, problems with like poverty and like that, or is it actually a global phenomenon? Um, I can't give you any hard data, but talking to other sort of colleagues around the world, it does seem to be something that's generally increasing around the world as issues that, you know, as I say, were dealt with every now and then, and now becoming re- more frequent. Just um, just finally, uh, Chris, I guess suspensions will be the last resort. Uh, no good news will come from a kid that is excluded or suspended and not going into school, huh? Absolutely, and it is absolutely the last last resort for for schools to do that, and particularly for our um, towns or our schools where they're the only one in town. That's a big decision to make. You know, I've taught in schools where we are the only school mm. in the community, and so it's a big decision for that school to make to to exclude that student because there's very limited options for them. Yeah, and just on another note, Chris, I mean, it must present a real. Uh, a challenge for teachers, that added veneer of pressure to deal with, you know, just that aggression or violence at school. Are you or do you get a sense that the teachers are getting enough support to deal with this? Um, no, no, teachers are not getting enough support. As I say, we really need more more specialised pastoral care support in our schools. Teachers got into teaching to teach. That's what we do. We love it. And um, we want to be in the classroom. We want to be teaching. Um, and all of this just takes takes away from that. And and we don't want to be dealing with it. We really just want to be dealing with, um, you know, teaching and learning. And so any more pastoral care support schools could get would be fantastic. Very good. Uh, that is Chris Abercrombie there, the acting president of the NZPPTA, uh, 25 past four, the panel with Verity Johnson and Peter Dunn, loving our company, by the way. The panel is on iHeart, it's on Spotify, it's on Apple, if you can't get to hear it live. Now, we have decided, my wonderful producer and I have decided to do a snap panel poll. We've had so much response. We've just... Uh, an enormous response to the question do you think that New Zealand is headed in the wrong direction text me 2101 and we'll get the results in about uh, 15 20 minutes uh, time but to this completely different note a listener asked does anyone recall Cuisinaire rods you know the colour rods plastic or wood you learned your numbers on it that is if you weren't making a tower with the orange ones, or little people using the white ones for heads. Red was number two, the orange represented ten, the blue I think was nine, the green I can't recall, and what was the crimson one? They're also used for Te Reo Māori, I understand, a Reo Māori program called Te Atarangi, too, uses cuisineers as a learning tool. With us from Carterton is James. Kia ora, James. Kia ora, Wallace and Peter and Verity. Can you recall the Cuisinier, James? Absolutely. I was a 70s baby, so we had them at primary school. Oh. 
And I'm glad you used the word crimson and not pink because I've had this debate as an adult when people say a purple colour is crimson. I say, no, pink is crimson because the Cuisinart rods told me it was crimson. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, strongly what, held opinion. What, what, is it, what is it, James, about the Cuisinart that incites memory, that incites a very distinctive memory, whether learning your fractions, whether it jolly well making that tower? Well, I just loved school as a child and learning yeah. constantly, and it was just a great part of that. And we always worked in teams in our little classrooms, so it was always fun doing things together. And uh, interesting, that approach was also taken, because when you're an adult, you're still learning all the time too. And I used to work at uh, Otago University, and as staff there, you go off on training courses for um, self-improvement. I did the Te Māori ones, and they used the Cuisinart rods for that as well and you use them not just for colors or numbers but for plurals singles all sorts of things they can apply them to it's quite remarkable wonderful james thanks for the memories uh that's james and carter and we will get to our panel but with us now from wellington is isme kia ora isme oh, kia ora. no now where do you recognize the cuisinaire or rako from um, yeah, well, it's that Rako word that resonates. I had the radio on in the background and heard the word Cuisinaire and I had no idea what you were talking about. <laughs> um, and then I Googled it and I was like, oh, that's my that's the Rako from my Tadeo classes. Um, so, yeah, we use them as kind of like a visual aid to um, create scenarios and learn kuku and um, it's part of the Te Atarangi philosophy. They use um, Cuisinaires or Rako in their teaching. Practices. That's amazing! What a what a what an amazing adaptation, uh, Peter, of what many recall as the jolly old Cuisinaire. Yeah, well, I, I, I remember them vaguely from primary school days. They were just coming in, I think, when I was in primary school. But my kids in the late eighties, early nineties, we had Cuisinaire rods at home for them to learn their their numbers, and I was surprised that we still have them. And now my wife is using them with my grandchildren to um, inculcate them on the you know numbers and how they all work. But I reckon there's a modern version actually. If you if you watch Netflix, there's a there's a an addictive little thing called number blocks that kids watch, oh, and yes. it's exactly the same version oh, yes. of Ears and um, yep. you know people get really attracted to it and everything else. But I, I hadn't heard of it being used for Tereo purposes. I can imagine it could be adaptable to that, but uh, they certainly have endured for a long time. Yeah, and, and on that, Esme, um, is it um, you know is is it a good is it is it uh, an effective method in learning te reo Māori? Yeah, it's really good just having that visual aid. Um, yeah. Kind of the te- the my kaiako is amazing at kind of creating all sorts of images out of them, um, and so you know we kind of you know engages your brain to imagine the scenario, and then when you're actually in the scenario, I think it helps um, with my vocab. Um, just having had that visual aid. Okay, so here's mm. the uh, here's the uh, the panel question for you, Esme. Do you know where uh, the Cuisinaire public sculptor is? I don't. I don't. I had no idea what the <laughs> was. <laughs> well, it's by a wonderful um, uh, New Zealand artist called Michael Parakorfai, and it is in Kirikiriroa Hamilton outside the museum there. So next time you go through, uh, check it out. Esme Kiora, thank you for that. And you, Verity, did not know what the 
heck we were talking about? No, I'm still baffled. I actually still don't understand how it works. But I have a question. Is it like jet planes and how you have a favourite colour? Does people like hoard all of the orange rods or something? Or yeah, all of the pink exactly. Rods? That's exactly it. Yeah, and you had your favourite. I think orange was oh. orange was 10 and the, 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 the white was number one. And I think that okay. two was number red. Uh, blue was nine, I think. The brown, like the brown, can't recall the brown. The crimson or the pink, I can't recall what number. But you, you could do fractions with it. You could make... What? You, you could go, because okay. the, little, the little ones, you know, the ones, all grouped together to make ten. That's the same it. size of the oh, ten rod, you see. So that's you, it. Oh. I thought they were all the same size, and I was like, it's like no, imagining no, a Jenga no. tower. Okay, right, no. I got you. Yeah, yeah. Um, very, very cool indeed. Yeah, so uh, thank you for all your um, Cuisinier uh, memories. And a bit of feedback, too, on um, why isn't New Zealand very good at building major transport projects? John in Queenstown says, will successive New Zealand governments mumbled Perth built a light rail yeah. And put the freeway mm. under the CBD. Mm. It's really good as well. We've got it. Is it? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's depressingly good. We've got to come back to this.